wiggles, not the kind that wiggle tea that you drink, not scribble all together in a cottage she calls day. Cherries and tea with Nanny B. Oh, hello there, and welcome to my cottage I like to call Dave. As you already know, if you heard last week's tale, oh, my, my neighbor Jules will be bringing another story for us any minute now. Who could that be? Hello, who is it? Hello, Nanny Bee. It's your neighbor Jules with a story. Why, it is you. What a delightful surprise. Do come in. Hello, Nanny Bee. I've got a teeny tiny tale for us today. And the gorgeous Grace has got a great big wonder word. The wonder word. Hi, Nanny Bee. This is Grace. I have a wonder word. It's lickety split. something really fast, like how quickly I finish my Brussels sprouts when we're having apple crumble for pudding. Bye, Nanny Bee! A girl after my own heart. I'd eat my way to apple crumble any day. Make sure to listen out for Lickety Split in our teeny tiny tale of identical twin fleas. Would you like to hear a story? Oh, yes, please. Okay, then... Buggins and Gubbins Go to the Flea Circus Adapted for radio Buggins and Gubbins were identical fleas No other fleas could tell them apart They often used this to their advantage One pretending to be the other This amused them in their otherwise unamusing life Unamusing because, according to them, they went nowhere and did no thing, except to school, to home, to school, to home, etc., until the week bumped into Sunday when they would go to church, to home. The other fleas in the family seemed more than pleased with life on their host, Rufus the Yellow Labrador. At least they never complained. Buggins and Gubbins did enough of that for all of them. I'm bored. I'm tired. I'm stuck. I'm hungry. Did you notice one of their voices is slightly different to the other? Gubbins was a stickler for pronunciation. He liked how it felt in his mouth to roll the words around before he let them out. One cold March day, when spring decided to sleep in and the daffodils wished they could too, the circus came to town. This annual event was the highlight of the year, even for Buggins and Gubbins, who had saved up all their pocket money for the last three weeks to spend at the circus. Well, except, of course, what they spent on Sunday sweets and comic books, which meant they actually had very little left to spend at the circus. But they had a plan, a slightly devious, definitely mischievous plan, using their identical appearance to their advantage. Gubbins would enter first and buy a ticket, making sure to strike up a memorable conversation with the ticket seller. Why, good day to you, madam. May I perhaps purchase a ticket? Just one? 
I had to work the graveyard shift and sell my pet amoeba to raise the funds, so I do hope it is worth it. Gubbins did not have an amoeba, nor did he work the graveyard shift, as fleas do not even have graveyards. They simply fall off their host world when their days are done. The ticket seller who travels with the circus from host world to host world didn't care, but she did notice, and she most definitely remembered Gubbins, or someone exactly like Gubbins buying a ticket time-stamped 1,800 hours. Their plan was falling beautifully into place. Gubbins smiled and stepped forward at a normal pace. Once out of view, he ran lickety-split over to the far west edge of the circus tent, where Buggins and Gubbins had scoped out in advance the smallest of openings, just big enough for one little flea to slip a ticket to another little flea. Buggins was on the other side, waiting. Without even a thank you, he ran lickety-split back to the ticket seller. She was surprised to see him again. Why, good day to you, madam, he said, over-articulated to match his brother's proud pronunciation. Before she could ask him why or how he ended up in her line again, Buggins, pretending to be Gubbins, replied, I dropped my favorite scarf on my way here, so I slipped back out to collect it. Oh, goodness. Well, there is a sign that clearly says one entrance per ticket. We've had trouble in the past with slightly devious, definitely mischievous children sharing one ticket between them all. That's why we timestamp them now. Buggins, pretending to be Gubbins, dropped his head and, in a choked-up but still-articulated voice, said, I sold my amoeba for nothing. The ticket seller was so moved, she ushered him in quickly, saying, Tell no one. Buggins, pretending to be Gubbins, thanked her profusely, then ran into the crowded tent. Lickety-split. The twins agreed to sit separately, to avoid being found out. They had their money divided evenly, and now, without having to pay for two tickets, had enough left over for candy floss bigger than their heads and bright red kazoos to play along with the band. This year's flea circus was an even more glorious extravaganza than years past. The troupe had a management buyout, and now all with equal stake in the business found a new level of commitment— Acrobats were more amazing, the lion tamer more terrifying, and the clowns decidedly more clumsy, which is a good thing in clowns. In the center ring, there was a platform, on a platform, on a platform, like a giant wedding cake, only decorated in red, green, and blue. On top of it all was the ringmaster himself, Former magician turned opera tenor, turned belly dancer, turned telesales marketeer, the great Gadzuki! He orchestrated the entire show from his platform, never losing focus or energy, directing the eye to one marvel after another. It was worth the entry fee to see him alone. As the final act of the night was announced, the great Gadzuki became very serious. He dropped his perpetual flailing arms and made his way down the platform. And the next one, and the next one. 
until he was on the sawdust-covered central ring ground. The band played in time with his steps. When the great Gadzuki took long, deep strides, the tubas boom, 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 boomed along with him. When he scuttled along, shimmying his feet through the dirt and the dust, the drummer shimmered his cymbals. And when he darted from bleacher to bleacher looking for the ideal candidate, the trombone slid in and out and in and out. Finally, the great Gadzuki stopped, and the music with him. But a bump. He was standing on the aisle next to Buggins. He looked Buggins straight in the eye, then started walking again. This time more like a tinkling piano. plink de plink de plink Once again he stopped. This time he was standing three rows down from Gubbins, and he lifted his gloved finger, pointed at Gubbins, and said, You! Gubbins didn't move. You, the great Gadzuki said again. Come down here, lad, lickety-split. Well, who would ignore the great Gadzuki? So Gubbins wriggled down his bench, excuse me, pardon me, all the way as he squeezed past the other circus-goers in his row. Gubbins still had the last of his candy floss in his hand as he approached the great Gadzuki. He closed his eyes. He would have closed his ears if he could, as he waited to be berated in front of the entire audience and the traveling circus troupe. Maybe he'd get more than a telling off. Maybe they'd make him walk the tightrope or throw him to the lions. Gubbins swallowed again and again, trying not to cry. This boy, announced the great Gedzuki, this boy is the one, the only rubber band boy. The crowd cheered. <gasps> Gubbins peeled back a smile. He had no idea what the great Gadzuki was talking about. Prepare to be transfixed. Prepare to be transported to another reality as rubber band boy prepares to be transformed. Into what? thought Gubbins. Into the tallest flea in history, the great Gadzuki added. The crowd burst open with applause and cheers and whoops and hollers. Gubbins followed the ringmaster back to the main ring, where what looked like a coffin was lying. The great Gadzuki opened the box with an accordion center. See for yourself, it's entirely empty, he said as he knocked the inner sides with his baton. Climb in, young man. But I'm not the rubber band boy. I'm just a boy who should have bought two tickets. Oh, I'm fully aware of that, and I'm going to make you pay. The great Gadzuki whispered as he ushered Gubbins into the box, strapped him in, and closed the lid. There was a hole at the top, just big enough for Gubbins' head to poke out, and one out the very bottom where his feet could poke out. The audience were mesmerized. 
Gubbins also eyes, but more like terrorized, absolutely paralyzed, and soon quite likely pulverized. Watch as I stretch this young man into a giant! Well, a flea-sized giant, which is more of an ant, but size is relative. Gubbins closed his eyes. He didn't want to see himself pulled apart. He was sure he'd feel it. On the count of three, my faithful assistant will wind the hands of the wench and stretch Rubberband Boy until he nearly snaps. The faithful assistant began to wind. The band began to play, almost a death march, a most foreboding tune like the end was approaching. Steady and true, it went something like this. And it ended in a flourish. The crowd jumped to their feet as the accordion center of the box stretched all the way out. Wiggle your feet, young man. Gubbins did as he was instructed. The crowd cheered all the louder. Rubber band boy takes a while to spring back together after a good stretch, so we'll leave him here as we wish all of our visitors good night and a good year until we return. The crowd hustled out, buzzing with excitement. Some stopped and examined the box as Gubbins lay there, like a fish in a tank on display for all to see. It took some time for the tent to empty out. The great Gadzuki and the circus troupe were busy clearing and cleaning. As a one-night-only act, they had to pack up for their next host. Maybe a cat this time, or something more exotic, like a chinchilla or a pink fairy armadillo, if they'd fit. The ticket lady came to check on Gubbins. "'It seems you've lost your scarf again,' she said slyly. Gubbins just lowered his eyes. "'Okay, time's up!' the great Gadzuki shouted as he approached. Gubbins held his breath. (gasps) The great Gadzuki leaned closer. Then he unlatched the box and unstrapped Gubbins. Gubbins slowly looked down, expecting to see a stretched-out him, but all he saw was a normal him, and the great Gadzuki fiddling with a secret compartment at the bottom of the box. To Gubbins' surprise, Buggins popped out. Oh, they hugged each other tight, hoping they'd magically appear back in their unamusing life. What are you going to do to us? Buggin asked. The great Gadzuki turned to the ticket lady and said, What is the price of a ticket? Four and twenty, she replied. Then he turned to his faithful assistant, asking, And what do we pay our first-time performers? That'd be four and twenty, she replied. The great Gadzuki leaned down, so he was eye to eye with the twins and said, Well, it looks like we're even, boys. Buggins and Gubbins didn't wait a minute longer. They darted out of the tent, lickety-split, and ran all the way home. Their father saw them as they steamed in and asked how they liked the circus. Not as much as home, they answered. Their unamusing life suited them just fine. The end. Oh, thank you, Jules. My, I was frightfully nervous for a moment there and reminded of my own circus days. You were in the circus? 
Well, nothing as grand as the great Gadzuki's flea circus, but we had a bit of a reputation from our summers at the sea. I still like to keep my foot in the door, though, and practice my trapeze act regularly. You never know when it might be needed. If it ever is, will you tell me? But of course, dear. And will we be seeing you next week? Yes, when I return for more Tales and Tea. Go to nannybee.com. Go there to find out about all our episodes. Tales and Tea is written for you, so please do let us know what you think. You can like or follow us on iTunes or Spotify, and get in touch if you'd like to be on the show like the glorious Grace. Go on to leave a message for Nanny Bee, and you might be on the show. This has been a Toby Hall production for nannybee.com.